Luke 1.39, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Say, filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is he, or she, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and returned to her home. You know the story. I don't even have to set the table. You know about Mary. You know about Gabriel. You know about the conception that took place in her womb, which was not by natural means. The seed of a man had nothing to do with it. It was the the holy thing that was born of her would be called the Son of God because the Holy Spirit had done something unprecedented in the body of a, a teenage girl in Jerusalem. And so Mary was pregnant. Just six months before, it was Elizabeth who was the opposite end of the age spectrum. She was, as as we're told in the Word in this very chapter, she and her husband were well advanced in years. We don't know how old they were, but they were beyond the normal childbearing window of opportunity. She had never, Elizabeth had never had a child. And so science told her it'll never happen, and her history told her that it will never happen. And, and, And her friends and family probably tried to give her reassuring words that it's okay, you're more than your fertility, but you women would know just how difficult that would have been, but it had probably been a long time since Elizabeth had had hope, and yet she got a visit, or her husband did, from from Gabriel. And by natural means, she conceived with Zechariah and was now in her sixth month carrying a little boy who would be named John, and he would be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. We know him as John the Baptizer, John the Baptist. And so these two relatives, whether cousins or however you want to paint it, they were connected in bloodlines. They were both in an unprecedented uh, season in their life, both of them carrying within their wombs their first child. Both of them are going to express in this passage of Scripture such love for God, and they're in very different places in their, in their history, in their, in their testimonies, very different places. And yet when they come together, there is a movement of the Holy Spirit that brings forth a moment that is recorded in the Gospels that we talk about around this time every year. I want to begin with Elizabeth and her joyful love. Elizabeth is a woman that uh, is emblematic of late in life joy, of the joy that comes when hope has been deferred and the heart has grown sick, and yet the hope, though delayed, was not denied, and she is able to worship and praise the Lord from the momentum of all of the goodness that is flowing in her life, and I love to worship at times like that. I love to worship when everything's right. It is so freeing and so glorious, and it doesn't cheapen it in any way. Listen, sometimes we worship more deeply when we're in the valley because we sense our need for God more when we're in the valley, but there's nothing cheap about worshiping the Lord when he's making everything go great in your life. And that was the case with Elizabeth. But a dose of joy 
was actually needed beyond Elizabeth. In verse 39, it was in those days, Elizabeth's sixth month, that Mary arose, she left her hometown, went hurriedly into the hill country to a town of Judah, and enters into the house of Zechariah, and she greets Elizabeth. Now, why would joy be needed? How can I extract that thought from that verse? Well, I want you to know as joyful as Elizabeth was, as beautiful as was the season in Elizabeth's life, Mary was not experiencing that same level of celebration. Why? Because Mary was a Jewish teenage girl pregnant by a baby out of, with a baby out of wedlock. And above all things, this was her legitimate story. Dad, Mom, I promise you, I've not done anything immoral. Dad, mom, I, I've kept my virginity. I know I'm pregnant, but I'm still a virgin. Dad, mom, it wasn't Joseph or a Roman soldier or anybody. Dad, mom, neighbors, aunts, uncles, the whole town. I promise you, I'm chaste. I'm holy. I love the Lord. It, it, it was the Lord that gave me the baby. You and I read it in a Christmas narrative, an inspired holy account. Mary had to live it out when nobody believed her. Nobody understood. I mean, I want you to think about this for a moment. Sometimes the work of God in the lives of his people sounds to non-believers as ridiculous. I mean, think about to a non-believer what we're doing here today. What are y'all doing down there for two hours at Newbridge Church? Well, we're singing to a God we've never seen. We're giving our money to a, to a, a mission that's never ending. And, and we're, we're, we're sensing the presence of our invisible friend who is Jesus Christ, who will be the king over all the world and all of the cosmos at some future day. Yes, we know that he was crucified 2,000 years ago, but he is our living Lord. And non-believers, apart from the Holy Spirit, will scoff at that until the day they die. And so Mary is not in a place where th they're throwing her baby showers. She's not getting a buggy. She's not getting booties. She's not getting formula or bottles or anything like that. She's getting scorn and suspicion. And the Bible says that in that context, three months in, and by the way, she would have been pooching out a little bit around that time. And so with haste, something happened on a given day where she said, I can't hang out anymore. I've got to get away from here. And by the way, Joseph didn't go with her. Now, Joseph had already had his encounter, and he's working through his own stuff with the Lord about how his wife-to-be is suddenly pregnant. That wouldn't only be a load for her parents to believe, but it would be really hard for Joseph to believe that this precious girl that he loved would remain chaste and that the story was true. And so God sent an angel to visit Joseph. But in this moment, Mary was all by herself. I don't think that she went up there skipping and singing and shouting. I imagine she was very burdened, not knowing what the next chapter of life was going to hold, not having any answers, and receiving a lot, if people are still people, they would have been at that time too, receiving a lot of suspicion, a lot of scorn, a lot of gossip by the religious women of the town. I know that doesn't happen anymore, but in Mary's day it might have. <laughs> so we go down into verse number 41. Now, the best place for her to be was with cousin Elizabeth. That's the best place that she could have gone because Elizabeth had a little bit of a grid for the supernatural work of God. Why? Because she was an old lady with a baby whose husband had had an encounter in the temple with a God, uh, with, a, with an angel sent from God and received a message from that angel and couldn't talk and, and couldn't hear and couldn't do anything for days on end. So Elizabeth would say, tell me your supernatural story and then I'm going to tell you mine. And so there was a, an obvious uh, just context of, of understanding that God was doing something great. And so you get into verse number 41 and you see Elizabeth and her depth of joy being deposited. Watch this. So the, the picture is that Mary walks into the house and Zechariah's there, and Elizabeth hears Mary before she sees her. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, John, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth, boom, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes. So in this encounter, Mary's carrying Jesus. Elizabeth carrying the forerunner of Jesus. Mary walks in the door, says, hello, Zechariah. And as soon as Elizabeth, maybe in the other room, hears that, John the Baptist does an in utero holy dance. Amen. And is just leaping. He's moving. Obviously, he's not jumping up and down. But the Greek word there indicates that he's moving just rapidly. 
And it's, it's a word that indicates that he's just filled with joy. I mean, you talk about this wondrous and amazing. This, this is a situation where something in John the Baptist in the womb was connecting with something with Jesus in the womb. And the moms are just sitting there saying, woo and, and immediately, as John the Baptist is getting his first moment of praise on, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to see in a moment what, 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 what the expression of that filling produces. But I want to give you this. There's only one family in the entire New Testament of whom it is said that every member was filled with the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't the family of Jesus. It was the family of Zechariah. Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit later on in the narrative. Elizabeth is here filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. And you've got this beautiful picture. When God wants to do something monumental and great, he'll take an average family and he will send the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is believed and received, God says, I will do something through this family that will make a mark for the kingdom. And so you get down into verses 42 through 45. Look at Elizabeth. She's an encourager. I want her to join Newbridge. She's great. So she's filled with the Holy Spirit in verse 42. She exclaimed with a loud cry. She didn't whisper it. She didn't worry about, you know, messing anybody's quiet time up. She, blessed are you among women. Here comes the the burst of blessing. Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And then she's like, but I got to continue to bless you. Blessed is he, she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, hold on a minute, because Elizabeth didn't have Luke chapter one. She didn't have a, she didn't, this is prophetic revelation. Mary walks in, John the Baptist goes nuts in the womb of his mother, happy nuts, just, just celebrating. And automatically as the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth, she begins to give a context to everything that's going on. She could have known none of it. She says, I can't believe that my eyes are looking upon you and in your belly is my Lord, my Messiah, my Redeemer, and my King. There's no way she could have known that. She couldn't even probably known that Mary was pregnant unless word had reached Mary's town to Elizabeth's town. But there's certainly no way that uh, Elizabeth would have known that the baby in Mary's womb was the Holy Son of God. I promise you this. This is probably the first uninhibited moment where Mary had somebody purely rejoicing with her in the news of the pregnancy. Her parents couldn't have. I mean, none of us could. You would have to have tremendous faith and revelation to work through that, hearing that from your daughter. Joseph, the Bible actually says that when he heard it, he's like, I'm done. And God had to say, no, you're not. <laughs> and, and kept Joseph in the picture. And Joseph was a man of integrity and believed the Lord and believed Mary. But I don't think that we find anywhere else where the first response, before Mary could say, now, Elizabeth, I, I need to tell you something. It's going to be really hard to believe. And nobody back home believes me. But please, I'm just looking for somebody to believe me. Mary didn't even get to tell the story. Elizabeth started saying, I believe you. You don't got to tell me a thing. Let me tell you what you're going to tell me. And she started to prophesy. I love the fact that she's portrayed as a spirit-filled woman. And in, in this context, it doesn't say anything about speaking in tongues. It doesn't say anything about signs and wonders. It doesn't say anything even about evangelism. She just looks at another believer and starts blessing the fire out of her. Just starts pouring encouragement out on her. Uh, a quick aside, because I'm having fun this morning, but I do want to pastor through some of this. Um, let's not talk about being spirit-filled and having the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit when it leads us to be sour with other people. Amen. You know, if, you, if you're sour with other people, maybe reel in the title Spirit-Filled Christian. If, if your gift of discernment has morphed into the gift of overt criticism and negativity and frustration, you're, you're full of something, but it ain't the Spirit, amen? <laughs> and so, I, isn't this a lovely Christmas message, I tell you? <laughs> My point being is this, she 
filled with the Spirit. She didn't plan it. She didn't have a four-point outline. She didn't have PowerPoint slides. She just starts blessing the teenage girl in the midst of the worst season of her life. Think of Mary. We're going to think of her in a minute. She's gotten the most incredible news that any Jewish woman could ever receive. When, when baby boys were born in ancient Israel and even uh, New Testament Israel, when babies were born, the wonder and the expectation of many of those mothers and fathers would be, is this the one? Will he be our king? Will he be our Messiah? Will he be our redeemer? And countless women in Israel had come and gone. And though God could do great things with their, their, their baby boys, his answer to all of those women were, no, 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 it's not him. It's not your boy. It's not your boy. It's not your boy. It's not your boy. And then one day, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son into the world to be born of woman. And that woman was barely a woman. She was a member of the youth group. She was young and unmarried. And I am again having my heart placed in check when I think I know how God ought to work. Who, who among us would have said, yeah, I could have told God this was going to be a great plan. I, I, I would have thought the same thing. I would have come up with the same approach to bringing the, none of us would have. And yet so often in our day, when God chooses to move in new and unprecedented and undefinable ways, how quickly we are to be like perhaps many of Mary's townsfolks to say, that could never be God. Not Elizabeth. Elizabeth, she had an unction of discernment. And so her joyful love, she loved the Lord. She loved her baby. She loved her Messiah who was still in the womb of Mary. And she loved Mary. And so this, and just think of the young heart of this young girl who might have expected scorn from an older woman, and instead she got blessed. Blessed are you, Mary. Blessed is the baby in your womb. And blessed are you for believing what the Lord said. Because it would have been a very difficult thing to believe. It's a fertile love that looks at people in a very difficult place and says, instead of giving you a lecture, instead of giving you a sermonette, instead of giving you all of the things you might have done differently, let me just welcome you with love and bless you because you are beloved of the Lord. So we move into Mary's awestruck love. From Elizabeth's joyful love to Mary's awestruck love, and I only have two points today, and this one's not going to be long because I just believe God wants to give something to his daughters this morning. And so we're going to facilitate an opportunity for that. Mary's awestruck love. So praise begets praise here. Praise births praise because Elizabeth finishes her thing. And Mary breaks into what is known as the Magnificat. The, it's a Latin word that is over the top of these verses that, that Mary's about to praise and worship uh, the Lord with. And it's from the first word in the Latin and here it's like the fourth word where it says, Mary said, my soul magnifies. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary was deeply moved within in this moment. And please remember, I know we're reading it in the Bible, but it was actually a moment in time. There was a literal house there was a little Zechariah doing whatever he was doing, you know, watching ESPN or whatever was going on. And, and Mary walks in a literal door and there was a literal baby in a literal womb that literally just rejoiced. And, and, and Elizabeth literally, with literal words, blessed Mary. So it, it happened is what I'm trying to say. Don't romanticize the Bible to where it sounds more like a fable. This, this is history. These are two women of God. Coming into a house together in a divinely orchestrated season that God pinpointed when the fullness of time came, meaning that God was superintending. It didn't just happen. It was ordained. This moment was ordained. And so Mary's in the midst of this overwhelming thing that she can't possibly understand that God is doing. 
And her response is, my soul is making God big. That's the Greek understanding. My soul is mega, mega expanding in its understanding and adoration of God. She, so often when you are worshiping, when you are enthralled, when you are being awestruck, and man, we need to be like this more often, but you don't have verbiage. You don't have the enough words or the right words. Sometimes I, 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 I just want to open my mouth and God, give me new vocabulary for who you are and what you're doing because the old stuff, not cutting it anymore. And, and, and so Mary just says this, my soul, my soul is producing this mega understanding of the goodness of God. And she she runs out of that metaphor and she says, and not only my soul, my spirit, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. It, it could be, it's not exactly the same thing, but they overlap, they touch, they're intertwined. The deep, whatever you think about the dichotomy, trichotomy, and the soul, spirit, and all of that, listen, get in a huddle in the corner and argue with other people. I'm just worshiping this morning. The, 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 the point is that the deepest part of Mary was moved deeply moved when when she's talking about the soul the suke in the greek and she's saying it magnifies it is that means she felt it she sensed it she she was processing it it was animated it was not static it was dynamic it was movement within her that produced the verbalization of joy coming out of her she just couldn't keep it in Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you will remove from the American Bible Belt 21st century church the false notion that the holiest worship is the quietest worship. Let that be removed from us. That is so foreign to our Bibles. Are there times to be still and know that he is God and to be quiet? Absolutely. But I'm going to tell you, if you do an honest reading of the Bible, it's not the norm. It's not the norm to try to worship inwardly. <laughs> nah, I just can't. I just shouldn't do that. But th- there are illustrations. Oh, let's just make it a sneeze. I was thinking other things. But there's sometimes when it's not appropriate to sneeze in public. And you know you've got it. You can feel it. You know that a sneeze is meant to be let loose. But you are somewhere where you're not, you don't want to draw attention to yourself. You don't want to do this. And so you, you say, <laughs> you know, your brain starts to come out your ears and your eyeballs are out three and a half inches. And, and, and what really your body wants to do is just, just let it go. Just let it go. My house shakes when I sneeze. My coworkers will come in and check on me. We, we heard a grenade go, no, go off. Is everything okay in here? Well, the point of being is that sometimes, as that sneezes in the physical, praise and exclamation and movement and adoration and testimony and song and, and prayer and all of it is not meant to be kept in. Some of you are spiritually, <laughs> you just need to open up. Mary did. She said, my spirit rejoices. And then watch this girl. She's a a kid by our standards. She's a kid. She might have been 15. But she understood her place in God's plan. Look at verse 48. Watch this. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. You know who she's talking about? She's talking about herself. She's looked upon the, he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. So Mary, this is such an awesome thing for us to grow in. I want to grow in this. I want to grow with you in this. To be able to comprehend what God is doing within you and to be able to attach it to the bigger picture of what God is doing around you or outside of you. Mary knew that the work of God in her was not primarily about her. 
But she also knew that by participating in God's plan, that there was blessing attached to it. There's a part of me that wonders, would Mary have been able to say, all women will call me blessed for all generations if the woman standing in front of her hadn't done it? If Elizabeth hadn't had the love and the kindness to say, you're blessed, you're blessed, maybe that was the thing that popped the cork. Mary not feeling necessarily blessed by, and wondering, you know, I think God's blessing me, but it feels like stigma, it feels like misunderstanding, it feels like I'm being rejected, and, and, and Elizabeth just says, no, you're actually blessed. And so Mary says, I am. I am blessed. And she, she doesn't venerate herself, she doesn't exalt herself, she is genuinely overwhelmed. She's at best, the child of a middle-income family, but probably peasants, probably just the norm of that day, people that are living hand-to-mouth, and she's a, a, a daughter. And by the way, in, in the day prior to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, in Jewish and Roman culture, women were basically property, just basically property, devalued, seen only through the lens of, of pleasure for man, childbearing for man, and cooking and cleaning. And even in the, in the rabbinic traditions, there were ridiculous reasons why a man could just walk away from his wife when, when he was tired of her. Women were not valued prior to the coming of Jesus Christ and the work that he did. It's very interesting to me that the, one of the lies that Satan tells in our day is that Christianity seeks to take the value of women and suppress women. It was actually our Lord and our Savior that, that brought women to an equal status with men in the kingdom. They had always been that way, but Jesus came and elevated that in the eyes of people and through the writings of the apostles. She said, he who is mighty has done great things for me. And some of us didn't remember that this week. Some of us didn't take time to slow down in the midst of some disappointments, some discouragements, some intimidations, some Goliaths, some seemingly immovable mountains, some news that was not what we had hoped for. Some of us forgot what Mary proclaimed because what she proclaimed over herself is also true over you. He who is mighty has done great things for you. And he's not done yet. Yeah, he is already, if, if he never blessed you again, you and I are already blessed more than we could ever fathom. Say, right. so I don't know about that, Jeff. Well, let me just ask you a question. Did he pay for your sins and set you free from judgment and condemnation and make his home in you? He did, for those of you that have come to Christ. My friends, that is the capstone of all blessing, and yet it's often the one that we take for granted when the lesser blessings don't come. Mary just said the mighty one has done gone and poured out some goodness on me. And she said, holy is my God. She attributed her impossible horizontal situation to the infinite wisdom, might, and love of God and to the fact that he's holy, therefore he never does anything wrong. And so in a moment... She understood her place in God's plan. She's the Messiah's mama. And every other woman had been passed over for that, except this seemingly inconsequential teenage girl whom God chose. Why did he choose her, Jeff? Because he did. He, he chooses whom he chooses. And he chose this girl to be the mother of the Messiah. I'm just going to ask you to pause before I wrap this up. I know the clock is a little advanced today, and do what you got to do. I'm going to do what I got to do, and I'm not done yet. But the, the message this morning, I, I, I just want to ask you something, because right now God's doing something in you and with you. And, and for many in the room, it doesn't make any sense. I don't know what you're doing, Lord. I, I, I don't get it. I, I, I don't know why horizontally it's not the way it's supposed to work out, I thought you were leading me this way. I thought you would do this. I, I prayed this, and yet I, I've got this. I, I just don't understand. And the temptation is to put that in a capsule, a me capsule. 
And you'll say, well, what is going on in my life is primarily about me, so it needs to make sense to me. It needs to help me. It's my life, and if I don't understand it, there can't be any value to it, and if I don't understand it, I don't know what to do, and it can breed this defeat mindset, this defeatism, this fear, this this overt uh, trepidation. And yet Mary, in the moment, and by the way, she had no idea what was coming, She's going she's gonna to get a, a prophecy when the baby's born that his life is going to bring uh, some to rise and others to fall. And then she gets this happy little prophetic word, and, and, a, and a sword's going to pierce right through your heart because of your son. Meaning she was going to experience agony over her son, and all of that came to pass. She didn't understand any of that. I'm pretty convinced she probably didn't understand most of what Jesus was about until after the resurrection and the baptism of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Sometimes God holds back your understanding so he can cultivate your faith. You don't need faith for what you grasp. You've already grasped it. And so sometimes we do. And listen, I'm saying we. I am certainly not accusing anybody. I've, I've lived this life. I've, 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 I've been here before. Lord, if you'll just give me understanding... And then we fill in the blank with what we're going to do or how it would benefit. And so we bring God our big idea. And God says, yeah, all of that would be great. But actually what I'm working on right now is I I want you to know who you are in me. And I'm actually building your faith. Say, Lord, I appreciate that. But since we're in negotiations right now, how about you just give me what I want? And instead of building my faith, you'll amplify my ability to praise you. Because after all, I mean, Lord, I'd just like to praise you, and people hear me praise you for all this good stuff you've done. And the Lord, I mean, listen, he is so much more interested in our identity. He wants you to know who you are in him. And sometimes in order for us to grasp that, he has to prevent us assigning our identity in other things, people, events, accomplishments. And so he just holds that understanding And that's why I think uh, the writer of um, Hebrews said there are times where we are standing naked and trembling before the one with whom we have to do. That we we just have to stand there, and Mary was doing that. And yet in the midst of not knowing, she didn't understand, but she believed. And friends, if we are waiting to understand before we believe, then we're not living by faith, we're living by explanations. And so let's, let's just go down here. She began to speak with prophetic insight. I'm going to make sure in the upcoming year I'm highlighting this issue of biblical prophecy. As Pastor Dustin and I go through the book of Acts, so many of you who may not understand or be comfortable with even the verbiage will see, oh, this is not hocus pocus, this is Bible. This is just the Christian life. Well, here's Mary before Pentecost speaking with some keen prophetic insight. She says, Speaking of of carrying the Messiah in her womb, she says of God, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Listen, she's not just rattling off theology. She is taking what's going on inside of her and she's saying, oh, this is not just about me and the baby in my womb. This is global. This is moving out from me. This is a reversal. This is the long-awaited promise. This is the fulfilling, the coming of the Abrahamic covenant. This is the the prophet greater than Moses. This is the son of David who will sit upon his throne forever and ever. This is the the everlasting one. This this is the the, the day star. This is the bright morning star. This is the king. This is the Lord. This is it. And so she's all of a sudden seeing that what is going on in her teenage body is global and eternal. And friends, I, I just want to say this. I lovingly dare you to consider that what God is doing in your life, he's doing not simply for you or if you're in a bad place to you, but he's wanting to do something through you and for you that's going to bless other people. There's actually eternal value that he assigns to what he's doing in our lives all the time. But you and I are addicted to containing what's going on in our lives and not letting it stream out from our lives. Not Mary. Isn't it amazing how much we can learn from an ancient teenage girl pregnant out of wedlock and in a very difficult place in her life? 
And she just gets alone with a spirit-filled older woman. And the power of God moves. And Elizabeth stops and Mary starts and glory comes down. She says, God's exalting the humble. That's what the gospel does. The gospel adds value to those the world devalues. So it's ridiculous for me and you to chase the value that the world assigns to people when God seeks to undo the value that the world assigns to people so we can find the value that he assigns to us through the work of his son. And we get saved and then we go right back out into, world, give me my value. World, give me my value. World, tell me I'm beautiful. Tell me I'm successful. Tell me I'm cool. Tell me I'm appreciated. Tell me I'm loved. Tell me I'm applauded. Tell me, somebody give me my identity. And, and, and God says, no, actually, um, when you were broken and humble when I saved you, I took on the responsibility of, of me exalting you at the proper time. Your job's to just stay humble and content and, and seek me, and I'll exalt you at the proper time. And, and so Mary sees this, and she also sees futuristically, because this, this has not fulfilled completely. She says, he's going to bring down the mighty. My baby is going to bring down the mighty. My baby boy is going to be uh, setting some things straight. My baby boy is going to be the arbiter of justice over the nations. My baby boy is going to balance the scales. My baby boy is going to reveal that which is done in secret and bring it into the light. My baby boy is the one who's going to judge the, uh, the earth in the covenant of his father Abraham. See, my friends, we don't, we don't have to get our, our vindication now. We don't have to have... Listen, I promise you something. The scales aren't going to be fully balanced in your lifetime. God is a God of justice. He will balance the scales. Every injustice is going to be made right, whether it is a generational injustice, whether it is political injustice, whether it is social injustice, racial injustice. I want to promise you something. He is going to balance the scales perfectly. Every time your name has been assaulted, and by the way, before you get too happy, every time you've assaulted somebody else's name. Yeah, that'll, that'll take away your thirst for justice real quick when you realize it works both ways. And we start saying, just, we, we quit saying, justice, Lord. We start saying, mercy, mercy, Lord. That's a better prayer, by the way. But he is going to, he is going to set the record straight. And Mary got that. And so verses 53 through 55, worship team, come on up or I'll never quit. She magnified the mercy of God. He has filled the hungry. He has filled the hungry. He has filled the hungry with good things. Some of you are so hungry in life right now. Yes, I mean, maybe, maybe there's a, a practical nutritional element to what she's saying, but she's speaking way beyond, you know, a, a, a kosher meal. She's saying this, she's saying, he is filling the hungry spirit. Little did she know that 33 years later, Jesus, her son that's currently in her womb would say, blessed are those who hunger. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. So she, she says, he's filled the hungry with good things. The rich he sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Mary is able in, in an unction of insight to say what he's doing is with me runs a strong cord of promise back through centuries, millennia even, all the way back to a man named Abraham to whom it was promised by God that there would be a perpetual seed from Abraham and from his seed would come the ruler. And Mary said, wow, my life is attached to some long-standing promises. I don't know where you are right now with what God has spoken over you. Some of you had wor words from the Lord. Some of you have clear words from the Lord, and you know it. Time hasn't talked you out of it. The, the lack of its manifestation hasn't talked you out of it yet. People haven't been able to talk you out of it. But there are moments where you say, along with the prophet Habakkuk, how long, O Lord, how long? Israel waited a long time for this promise. And by the way, when it came, they barely noticed. <laughs> some shepherds, yeah. Some wise guys sometime later from uh, a far land, yeah, they noticed. But for the most part, it went unnoticed. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm just going to stop preaching. And although this is not a message exclusively for the women, 
I'm going to tell you, I can't get away from the fact that what I shared today was on paper three weeks ago. And then that prophetic word came about women in this assembly today. And I believe that the promise of Joel 2, which is repeated in Acts 2, which contains the indicator that God would pour out His Spirit upon all flesh, and God specifically talks about what He will do from, for women from different walks of life, from servants to the daughters of Israel, young and old, God incorporates that His end-time plan will not be men at this level and women at some place underneath. He's the great equalizer. As we were in the prayer room this morning, we were praying through these words, because that's what you do. Somebody gives you a prophetic word, you don't just glibly just, oh, great. You work through it, you listen to the Lord. And so with some people that intercede for this church on a regular basis, we prayed through it. And as we prayed through it, my conviction and confidence in what was spoken over the ladies and the, the, the daughters of God in this house, it just grew and grew. And this is the picture that I got. And sometimes I just, the Lord speaks to me in pictures. When I say the phrase, army of God, almost invariably masculine, rugged, hairy male faces appear in our mind. The army of God. It's like a Braveheart scene or a Lord of the Rings, the yuck and the muck and the, and the, and the mire. And then, listen, then if I, I just dared to intrude and said, but picture it with women, the tendency would be to picture women with grimacing soldier, you know, knife between their teeth, which is just a masculinized woman. What about if the daughters of God get to keep their beauty, their femininity, and their power? What if we begin to picture that they don't have to become men to find valid places in the army of the living God? Valid places as soldiers of the gospel valid places to come alongside of their brothers and add all of the goodness, not a secondary goodness, but the same goodness, not a, a female version of the Holy Spirit, but the same Holy Spirit, not a downgraded uh, version of the power of God, but the power of God and the God of power coming alongside all of their brothers in Christ and saying together, let's put the enemy in retreat. Let's claim our region. Let's claim our community. Let's start by claiming our kids, our grandkids, our nieces, our nephews, our husbands, our households. By the way, let me just say this. The reason why some of the households in this church are, are as blessed as they are is not because of the man of God. It's because of the woman of God. And God says, I will take whatever man, whatever woman, my sons, my daughters, and I will bring them to a place that I will give them courage where they lack competency. It's not about being competent. It's about having courageous belief in who God is and what he says. So what are we doing this morning? I'm inviting the daughters of God. I want you to come and I want some of our elders to come. And ladies, if you feel like ministering to each other, I believe that this is a season. But listen, I just want to take some time with you this morning. Myself, Pastor Dustin, Amy's down front, uh, Michelle's down front. There may be other women that want to move in and just speak over it. Some of you need to be an Elizabeth to a Mary this morning. To speak blessing. Daughters of God, Jesus is coming back, I believe, in our lifetime. Don't wait for some man to give you permission for what God has already commissioned you to. Oh, Jesus, thank you. That was good. So I'm going to pray. And then ladies, I just want you to come and say, Jeff, what are we coming for? Just come in faith. Just come in faith. If, if your hunger is stirred, if you know you, you were born second time, twice born for something more than what you're experiencing and living right now, if you know that God has put vision in your heart and you've sensed that it's been oppressed by a male-dominated social system, a male-dominated church, and stop asking all the questions that some of you are asking. Well, Jeff, what about this? What about this? What about this? Stop it. Discipline your mind to respond to the word that's being given right now. Not to the thousand questions that the enemy will try to distract you with. We're talking about where you stand with the Lord right now, your identity right now. That's right. Y'all come. Y'all come. Come on in. I mean, come close. Don't block the aisles. Come close. That's what I'm talking about. Look at the hunger. Look at the hunger of these daughters of God. 
Moving tight, spread around, wherever you got to do. Guys, get out of the way. Y'all can come up here if you need to. right holy spirit's moving you want to put yourself in a posture of receiving however you best feel yielded to the lord so my sister as your brother as one who loves you and one sent on an assignment from your father this morning to come to you to tell you that he is breaking all shackles off of you There's only one yoke on you, and Jesus is under that yoke with you. That's the only, ooh, mm. There's only one yoke on you, and it is the one you share with Jesus. Every other yoke is broken off of you. I bless you with a godly femininity that God will give you. It'll be unique to your temperament and how he has wired you. It's not about what you wear or how you do your hair. It's not about your makeup or what you drive, but it is about your identity in Jesus. You are a daughter of God. We break off every shackle on you that has told you that you have to be a Vogue magazine beauty in order to have significance. We rip that lie from hell straight off of you and we bring the fire of God's truth on that because that is an absolute lie from the pit. You are beautiful from the inside out as a daughter of God. He always starts with the heart. We bless you with courage to fulfill your assignment in life and he is going to give you the wisdom. Some of you, by the way, don't assume it's something different than you're already doing. Some of you are right in the middle of your assignment right now. He's just gonna bring a a brand new level, a measure of grace to it. Walk it out in confidence. For every male voice that is torn away at the fabric of your identity and you have mistakenly attributed that to God, for every abusive word or abusive act that has come against you, for every man that used you for his own desire, we renounce that and we remove that off of you. You are free. God is a giver, not a taker. For every one of you that has been victimized and broken and relegated to a second-class posture in the realm of the church, I apologize on behalf of men that did that. We misrepresented God when we did that to you. You're a daughter of God. Your value is beyond, it includes, but is beyond a husband and children. Be the best mother and wife that God will empower you to be. But those, those roles will come to an end one day. And your role as a daughter of God will continue. Some of you have a calling to proclaim the gospel prophetically, through intercession, through preaching and teaching of the word of God, through missions, through singing. I pray in the name of Jesus for a mantle to fall on you in whatever area it is that brings you the most delight as you make Jesus Christ known in your generation. I pray for an unction upon those of you that can see the generation coming up behind you. Many of them are motherless. A lot of them have been fatherless. I pray, and this was not part of what I was thinking when I woke up this morning. I pray the spirit of Elizabeth on you. I pray the mantle of Elizabeth on you. And I pray that Mary's will find you. That Mary's are going to come and rest at your feet and you will bless them in their season of rejection. What more, Father? There's a mantle of courage the Lord is offering you today. A mantle of courage. Okay, grab a mic. A mantle of courage. Your job is to receive it, not to understand it. I bless you with the ability, in the name of Jesus, to stop needing to know all the details. You're free from that. Trust is step by step. 
and the Lord is freeing you for that. I want my wife to speak. The Lord was just showing me at the end of his message that, you know, there was a specific moment that the enemy and through a serpent came for Eve. No doubt it was planned. He knew that when, he, when she was vulnerable. And we are the daughters of Eve. And some of you have, all of you have, a specific moment that he came for you. The enemy came for you. And you know what it is as I speak this morning. You know the minute your life changed. You know the minute that your innocence was taken. You know the minute that you felt differently about yourself. Maybe it was an absentee father. Maybe it was a father who, who didn't encourage you. Maybe it was a husband who, who didn't affirm you. But I feel that the Lord is telling me to tell you this morning that this is the specific moment that he is coming for you today. And some of you, some of you can't put your crown on and your new headdress because you're still wearing the ashes. God is here this morning and he wants to remove that off of you. You never have to wear those rags anymore. He is coming to offer you hope and victory. You are royalty. You are the daughters of God. And he is here for you this morning. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captive. Some of you are still in your cells this morning, but God has opened the door. You just need to walk out in faith. The opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all those who mourn, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness, instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called the oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Receive that this morning. He is here for you. He is coming for you. You know, she was talking about the garment of praise. We're not done yet this morning. What's happening is is very significant right now, right? Very significant. As we were praying, I just got this kind of image of a shovel, like a spade shovel, just going to very fallow dirt, just just went straight in, pierced. Your, your, Your hearts have been pierced. Things are being broken off even as we speak right now. Chains are coming off. But there's one last thing that has to happen because it's not enough for the shovel to come right back out. What has to happen? The dirt has to be lifted and turned upside down. You hear what I'm saying? In other words, we're not quite, don't, don't mistake the entry of the shovel into the dirt as the finished work. The finished work is when the shovel pops up the dirt and it flips upside down, right? The garment of praise. What will solidify this right now for all of us is the song we're getting ready to sing, right? And to, and to, and to step in and to solidify this through praise and worship of the living God. And as you begin to praise, as you begin to walk into this, what's going to happen, it's going to solidify, it's going to settle in your heart, and that change will not be a moment, but it will be sustainable as you walk this out. So I encourage you, don't run off and leave right now. Brothers, let's just hang here for a moment. Let's make this moment consecrated with a garment of praise. Amen? You are a child of God. No longer a slave, but free. Thank you, Lord.